So I've been on this path following this call uh, to ordain ministry since I was 19 years old. So for over 40 years, so that gives you a little clue. Over 40 years I've been following this, this call. And I, I'm grateful to have walked this. I feel a little hot, and it's kind of in my ear, Luke. Thank you, Lucas. Um, it's been a blessing in so many ways. And over the course of years, there's been one thing that has been pretty consistent about it, and that is a passion, a real deep passion to do this work. And it's a passion that has covered over, now this is my sixth, church actually if you include my home church and the church that i served in seminary i have worked this passion out now in in eight different churches eight different congregations eight different locations and you know even after all of this years the passion is is still there to do this work to be with people of faith to learn and to love and to grow and to serve and to challenge and be challenged and to see how grace works through all of it. In fact, there is only one time in all of those years, and it was just happened just before COVID, where there, was, there were conflicts going on in my life, personal and professional, and more than, different from conflicts that I had, I mean, because, you know, conflict goes with the territory. You know, you've read in Scripture, wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus is in their midst. Well, there's a couple of, of additional chapters to that. Wherever two or three are gathered, there will be conflict. Because that just goes with the territory, right? Okay? Because that relates to the other one. Wherever two or three are gathered, there will be politics. Okay? Um, wherever two or three are gathered, there will be five opinions. Okay? It goes with the territory. But what was different at this time, just before the pandemic, was that these conflicts weren't what you would call just kind of run-of-the-mill differences of opinion. There were things, and I'll spare you the details, but there were things going on where the conflicts were intensely personal. It wasn't just a difference about ministry or a difference about professional opinion. Some of the people that were stirring this conflict in my life were making it intensely personal about me. And if you've ever had that, been on the receiving end of that, you know how hard that can be. And it was unrelenting. And, there were t and, and I honestly wondered. Not that I had lost my sense of calling, not that I had really lost my sense of passion, but I was beginning to wonder if maybe my life as a pastor in a church was over. I mean, I, I, I really wrestled with that for a while. I started looking up chaplaincy, you know, because I figured being in the hospital chaplaincy, that would be easier than dealing with the intensity of the conflict. Well, it didn't really resolve itself. <laughs> and then the fun really started on March 12, 2020, when pandemic hit and the world changed immediately. The world changed. From going to a congregation full of people engaged in worship and, and, and being in worship and leading in worship and preaching and leading and teaching and guiding and serving and sharing in that, that just changed. 
Worship was the same 10 people for 18 months that ran the live stream for the Redlands Church. And that was a wonderful crowd, but um, you may not know this about me, but I'm an extrovert. I mean, that, you laugh like that's a surprise. Like, really an extrovert. Imagine how hard it was when you're used to preaching to a whole congregation full of people to basically having three people in the sanctuary because the other people were tech and they were not in the same room. It was hard. But here was the unexpected thing. You know, because there's no book for this. Nobody taught us how to do this. You know, there's no... I didn't take a class in seminary on how to do live streaming and pandemic or, uh, uh, worship in the midst of a pandemic or lead a church when everybody is locked down in their, in, in their houses. That book just didn't exist. And so you wondered. I mean, at first, remember, it was going to be, oh, we'll be in by Easter. We'll be back to normal by Easter. Oh, and then we'll be back in church by Pentecost. And oh, we'll be in for sure by Christmas. And the weeks went on and on and on and on and on and on. It felt in a lot of ways like a desolate place. But what, I, I don't know that I could say that I was surprised that it happened, but I was surprised at the extent and the abundance of how God's grace worked in not just the Redlands community where I served, but knowing that it worked the same way here and in so many other congregations who were willing to, to trust, even though it was a desolate place, even though it was not what we were used to, not what we were accustomed to, not what we were skilled at, not what we expected. Still, still, church happened. Worship happened. Lives were touched. Lives were changed. It happened, even in that desolate place. By the grace and glory of God. You see, friends, this story that we shared in, in, in different ways is really what is at the core of this text, this feeding of the 5,000. And I'd never really thought of it in these terms, but then again, I've never come out of a global pandemic before. So, you know, you learn new things. Jesus escapes. His cousin has been, not just his cousin has died, but has, his cousin has been executed by Herod because John was preaching against Herod. And if you remember Herod, I mean, look it up. I won't bore you with the details here, but Herod was, was not a good guy, okay? Herod was not a good guy. He did a lot that was worthy of the condemnation of John, who was a prophet of God. He behaved in such egregious ways. And Herod, because he had no backbone of his own, has John arrested and then executed. The power of the state executed John. And Jesus is grieving. And so he goes away, thinking that he's going to be by himself. You know, because when we grieve, sometimes being by ourselves is the best healing, at least to start. You deal with your own grief and you process it, 
But then the crowds, because the crowds saw something in Jesus, they followed him. They followed him out to this desert place. <laughs> and he engaged them. It wasn't run farther into the wilderness to escape. He stopped and he welcomed them and he made space for them. And he cured people who were sick. And with that many thousands of people, you can imagine it took a while to get through the line. And it got to be late, and the disciples, the disciples just did not quite know what to do. You know, and I and I used to I used to kind of bag on the disciples to think that they maybe just ran out of patience. And and I get that. I mean, I've I've had that moment where it's like, okay, I'm I'm done and I just need to be away and recharge. But I think something else is going on here. Here they are out in the desert. It's getting late. The needs continue to grow. People's stomachs probably are rumbling at this time. And there's no hope that there's going to be, I mean, there's not a fast food. You know, there isn't In-N-Out or, you know, pick your favorite fast food place there to, to service them. What are they going to do? And it raises a legitimate question, I think, for the disciples that here in this space, how are people going to get cared for? Where can God's grace be seen in this deserted place? How are the needs going to be met in the most desolate place? And Jesus, instead of you know, giving in to the disciples, he turns this around and it opens a door for us to understand how and where we are right now in our own life, in our own world. He says, you give them something to eat. Here, you, give them something to eat. And that's not Jesus passing the buck in any way, shape, or form. This is an act of empowerment. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the power to go and to care for these people. You can do it. Well, the ultimate motivational speaker, right? You can do it. And the disciples think he's lost his mind, I'm sure. Because this is all we have. Five loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish, that's it. It ain't going to happen. Jesus said, come on. Bring them here. And he, he takes it, and he lifts it, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it. Does that sound familiar at all? Where have you done that, where the bread has been taken and blessed and broken and given? We do it at least once a month, right? Communion. This is a Eucharistic moment. That same grace that we experience in communion is now being played out in a way that doesn't seem very worshipful, but is nonetheless the same outpouring of God's grace, and especially that it comes in this desolate wilderness space. Here it is laid out for you. You give them something to eat. The disciples take all of this, whatever it looked like, whatever the abundance was, it doesn't really matter. You take it, give it, and he does. He gives it, and they take it, and they fill it out, and there's way more than five barley loaves and two fish left. Enough to fill 12 baskets. 
And what, what this text reminds us is that even in those spaces and those times in our life where we feel alone, where we feel desolate, where we feel broken down, where we feel separated, I mean, it gets characterized in a hundred different ways. Whenever we have those moments where we question, where we feel far from God, where we feel far from one another, in those moments, God is still there. Unequivocally, God is still there. Remember the first sermon that I, that I preached with you, the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13. The goal being that when this seed, when this grace, when this love, when this presence falls into fertile soil, soil that is prepared, soil that is ready to receive it, what happens? There's a harvest. And it's not just your routine harvest. It's not just a good harvest. It's not even an abundant harvest. It is a supernatural harvest. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is the abundant harvest that Jesus is talking about. And this, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 becomes a demonstration of what that looks like. Not in an overly spiritualized way, but on the ground where people are greatestly, mostly in need. In that place of desolation. I have this hope for the people of Maui. I have a real heart and kinship for Hawaiian culture after having served there. There is a beauty to the language, to the music, to the culture that warms my heart in ways that I've not experienced in other places. And seeing the pictures and in, even amongst the rubble, recognizing places where we have been, where we have shopped, where we have walked, where we have worshipped, I have hope that even in that desolate place that God's grace is, has been, and will continue to be at work. To bring this harvest when, 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 there, is, when there is no knowable hope that anything can come from this fire, I know the people I know the culture, and I know God. Lahaina will rise again. All of the places, just like Scripps Ranch and Ramona, Paradise, California. I mean, pick your favorite conflagration. It hasn't been easy, but people have arisen from those ashes. And this is the promise of this text. It's not Pollyanna. It's not overly spiritualized. It is feet on the ground recognition that even in those spaces, resurrection is possible. And we believe that because we are, after all, Easter people. I mean, I, I refer to it my, with myself this way. I, I am a sucker for the empty tomb. I'm a sucker for resurrection. I believe in resurrection. 
because I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in other places and I believe we will see it in Lahaina but here's the thing and this is where y'all come in we don't sit back passively and wait giving money to UMCOR now is a good start because that will help fund the projects that need to get homes and businesses rebuilt but there will be a day when it will take the work of our hands to do it. You give them something to eat. You take whatever it is, and it may seem like not enough. It may only be five barley loaves and two fish, but in the grace of God and God's abundant mercy, it will be enough. It will be enough if we're willing to take what we have. Friends, as we continue this journey of faith, as we continue to wrestle with our own sense of our, our own sense of fear, our own sense of even inadequacy, like how can I possibly do anything? Trust that what you bring can be enough because God will always make it so. Amen. Amen. Friends, I would invite you to stand in body or in spirit. I think we have the, uh, yep, I see thumbs up. There we go. Friends, let us affirm our faith together. I would invite you to stand. You've been sitting for a while. Let's get the blood flowing. Friends, let us share this affirmation together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who lives in us and others by the Spirit. We trust God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.